Good morning. Just realized right now that I had not turned the PowerPoint on yet, so I apologize for that. If you would like to go ahead and open in your Bibles to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and we'll be reading from there in just a moment. There we go. While that boots up, I'd like to welcome everyone out this morning. I appreciate the the welcome that was already extended, and and as was said, we do have visitors in our midst, but our visitors are more than that. They are friends and family to to several of us, to all of us, but especially to several of us. We've known them for a while, and we're so thankful for them to be with us this morning. A Fortune 500 company was looking to hire a marketing director. And they had narrowed down their applicants through several hundred uh, applicants. They narrowed them down to about three. They have three applicants left, and they call each one of them in to interview them uh, and try to figure out who it is that's going to get this job as marketing director for this company. So the first applicant comes in, and and when she comes in, she uh, is asked a question. That question is, what does 2 plus 2 equal? She thought for a minute, nervous, this must be a trick question. She kind of examined it in her mind, and she's very nervous. She said, four? The the interviewer said, thank you for your time, and showed her out the door. The second applicant comes in, has asked the same question. She examines it a little more thoughtfully and says, well, statistically speaking, it must fall somewhere between three and five. The interviewer, more uh, amused with this answer, still thanks her for our time and asks her to leave. The third applicant comes in and asks the same question. Two plus two, what does it equal? Without thinking, very quickly, she answers whatever you want it to equal. Whatever you would like it to be. Whatever you want the answer to be, that's what the answer is. She was hired on the spot. The truth is, in today's society, the right answer is not always, the pref- is not always technically the right answer. Oftentimes, it is the preferred answer, the politically correct answer. We can't have that mindset with God's word. We can't have that mindset with with what he says, what he has written out for us today. So today we have come together for the purpose of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And we are going to strive our best to do so. And the purpose of today's lesson, the purpose of of what we come today is to search God's word and to seek understanding for his desire for the church. Where do we find his desire? We don't find it out there. It's not in the secular world. We also don't find it in here. We don't find his desire in our heart, in the way we feel, in what we think. The only place we can find his desire is what he has written for us in this book, what he has recorded for us, what he has saved for us to know. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do our best, and we're going to begin, uh, as we've already done in, in 1 Timothy, but we're going to begin also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14 And we're going to start reading in verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for the woman to speak in church. November of 2014, in Franklin, Tennessee, A Church of Christ there, the 4th Avenue Church of Christ, announced through a YouTube video that they had hired a new student intern. The name of the student intern was Lauren King. 
They lauded this movement, or they lauded this as a movement that was coming. Those were their words. A movement is coming. And I believe they are right. And it's scary. And just in case you're thinking that Lauren King is a quite feminine name, that's because it is a feminine name. They hired a female as their student intern preacher. This should not come as a huge and overwhelming shock to any of us. As we have progressed through society, we see a change in, in what we look at in God's word. If you, see in, uh, or if you think back to 1990, in 1990 there was a church in Birmingham, Alabama, a church of Christ. They began to allow women to take a more active role in, in the church leadership and ultimately led to female uh, pastors, female deacons. In 1992, a church of Christ in Houston, Texas, began to encourage their women to use their talents to, to lead in, in worship and singing and serving the Lord's Supper and, and prayers. And all this is obviously leading somewhere. It should not surprise us that then in 2013, a church of Christ in Stanford, Connecticut, hired Naomi Walters, a woman, to be their first ever female pulpit minister. I don't quote that, quote, put quotations on that, pulpit minister, capital P, capital M. What is obvious in today's society is that the church is beginning more and more to ask the question, women preachers, where's the problem with that? What's wrong with that? Why not? Why can't we have women preachers? And the answer to this question that is being asked, it's found in some unnecessarily difficult passages. What I mean by that is we have oftentimes taken these passages and made them harder to understand than they really are. As it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, just prior to what we read, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God doesn't, God, God's word is not meant to confuse us. It's easily understood. And in verse 40, he tells us that his desire, his desire is that everything be done decently and in order. He has a plan for us. So this morning, I want you to, to join me. Let's put on our critical thinking caps. You remember those? We dusted them off when we got out of school, but we need to put them back on. And what I mean by that is we need to slow down. That little part of our brain, that conclusion-making part of our brain, we need to slow that part down for a moment before we jump to the conclusion, and we need to hear the whole matter. So maybe this morning you're possibly sitting there thinking, women can't lead. You know what? That's real chauvinistic-sounding. My encouragement to you is to slow down. Let's consider the whole matter. But also, you might be sitting there this morning thinking, my grandfather, or, or my great-grandfather, he would turn over in the grave if he heard of a woman preaching. Likewise, we need to slow down. The fact is, it doesn't matter what your grandfather or your great-grandfather, it doesn't matter what tradition tells us. And it doesn't matter what society tells us. The only thing that matters is what God tells us. So let's, with that in mind, let's look at these passages that we've read and let's see what they actually say. Now in doing so, we're going to start off by looking at what they do not say. And 1 Corinthians is the one we'll talk about first. And I feel it's important to start here because over the years, some have wrongly applied Scripture and these passages, they're not immune to this. These passages have been wrongly applied as well. So the first thing I want to point out is these passages do not say women are to be absolutely silent in services. Not a peep. That is not what these passages say. I don't know about you. I don't know if you noticed. But just a few moments ago, I heard all of our women speaking. 
Every one of them. I heard them speaking. Ephesians 5 and verse 19 tells us that when we sing, we are speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are speaking. Now, have all of our sisters this morning violated Paul's condemnation on women speaking in worship? No, absolutely not. We know this. We also know this because the context of this passage. We need to make sure that we understand the context of 1 Corinthians before we apply it in the wrong way. Look back up in verse 27 of chapter 14. The whole passage of 1 Corinthians is talking about these gifts that have been given. And in verse 27 we read, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. Now notice verse 28. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Now this word silent that's used here in verse 28, that's the exact same word that's used in verse 30, uh, 34 and 35. <clears throat> in verse 30, uh, 34, excuse me. It's the same word. Now, that tongue speaker, he was told to be silent. He was told, you are not going to use that gift if there is no interpreter. Did that mean that tongue speaker could not sing? Did that mean that tongue speaker could not come forward and confess Jesus as his Lord and Savior? That he could not come forward and confess a sin publicly? Absolutely not. We understand that. But to bar women from making all audible sounds in the worship service, as some have tried in the past, that bars them from telling a child to be obedient, to listen up, to be quiet. That bars them from singing. That bars them from making confession. We must understand that this passage cannot contradict other passages of the Bible. It cannot do that. So it can't contradict passages like Ephesians that say we are to speak to one another. So let me be absolutely clear right here at this moment. Women absolutely can speak in church. They can. They can ask or answer questions in a Bible class as we've done this morning. They can sing as we've done. They can confess Jesus. They can make confession of sin. These passages are not forbidding all speech in general, but they're forbidding a certain type of speech. And we will look more at that in a moment, but first we do have to understand these passages in light of what they do not say. Now, if you still maybe possibly have 1 Timothy marked, flip back over there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And in verse 11 and 12 we read... Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Again, these passages, and this passage in particular, does not say that a woman can never teach a man. Never, ever, completely out of the realm of possibility, not going to happen. That's not what this passage says. For example, this morning, if one of you... Lovely sisters comes up to me afterwards and says, Kyle, that that was a great job with that sermon, but it reminded me of something I wanted to share with you. This passage over in Titus that says, whoa, 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 should I I slap that Bible out of your hand, stick my fingers in my ear and say, you can't say that, you would be teaching me. No, we're not going to say that. We're not going to do that. That's not the type of teaching that is talked about here. And that's not what this passage is saying. Or what about when we were singing just a minute ago? Or when we were speaking in song? Now think about this for a minute. Colossians 3.16 tells us something about when we sing to one another. It says that when we sing, we are teaching one another. So 
for that moment while we were all singing, women, you were teaching. You were teaching me. You were teaching the other men around here. We were teaching one another. I have been taught so much by women. I have been taught by my mother. And I have been taught by my grandmother. My wife has taught me things. In fact, so many wonderful women have taught me throughout my entire life from, from their example that they have set and, and from their influence that they have had in my life. So we need to understand what this passage is saying about teaching. And I, and I think one place that we can start to, to understand that a little bit, and we can understand, as we said before, that things cannot be contradictory in the Bible, turn over to Acts 18. In Acts chapter 18, we see, we read a, about a man named Apollos. And in verse 26, we read, so he began, this is Apollos, Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But we're gonna, and when we read in there, we'll learn something. In the previous verse, it says he knew only the baptism of John. He knew only the baptism of John. So he's preaching boldly in the synagogue. And Aquila and Priscilla, that's a husband and a wife, heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Who did that? They did. What does this passage say to us? It says that a woman had a role in teaching a man. She was involved in teaching this man. So again, these passages can't teach that a woman may never, ever, under any circumstance, teach a man. That's not what they're saying. In fact, women can teach men. But 1 Timothy, like 1 Corinthians, forbids a certain manner of teaching. And that's what we need to talk about next. What do these passages actually say? Well, Paul does say women are to keep silent in the church. And so, as I pointed out, this can't mean utter silence, not a peep, because that would, that would contradict other passages where we are commanded to sing. And as we've looked in verse 28, we see the context that this tongue speaker was commanded to keep silent, but we understand that he likewise was, was able to speak. But Paul teaches us that a woman in a mixed assembly of both men and women who takes control of that assembly and addresses that assembly in an authoritative manner that is forbidden. That cannot happen. A woman cannot lead in that way. And what does, what does this mean? Well, that means that a woman cannot preach. She cannot, just like the tongue speaker, without an interpreter. She cannot lead singing. She cannot lead prayers. She cannot preside over the Lord's table. Likewise, a woman also cannot be an elder, cannot be a deacon. Now, again, I think it's important to point out this does not mean a woman cannot sing, and she cannot confess or cannot correct a child. That's not what these passages were saying. They were saying that a woman cannot be in an authoritative position uh, over a man. Now, let me interject this right here. This is, this is kind of important. Women, if this violates your conscience, I am not asking you to violate your conscience. That is an important thing. If this violates your conscience, then, then don't do it. But we do need to know that these passages are not saying when you come in those doors, zip your lip. That's not what's being said here. And over the years, men have, have taken these passages out of context. <clears throat> Again, something else that this passage is talking about in 1 Timothy, we see that there is a certain place that this is to partake of. In chapter 3, <clears throat> chapter 3 and verse 15 Paul gives this kind of brief commentary on everything he's wrote up to this point. 
to, and in his writings to Timothy. And he tells him what his purpose is, is that you should know how to act in a certain place. Verse 15 says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself where? In the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. We are talking about in the church that these passages talk about. Now this rules out anything outside of the house of God. So likewise, this passage is not talking about someone like Lydia. In Acts 16, Lydia, the the seller of purple. These verses don't say a woman cannot own a business. These verses do not say a woman cannot run for office. They cannot vote. These do not say a woman can't be a teacher in 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 a public school system. These verses are talking about a specific place, and they're talking about a specific type of action. The essence of what these verses are saying is, or when we are asked, excuse me, when we are asked then, why can't a woman blank? Why can't a woman preach? Why can't a woman sing? Why can't a woman pray in, 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 uh, in the services and lead a prayer? The answer to that question is because what the Bible is telling us is that is not her role. That is not her role. And we need to focus on this word this morning, role, our roles. That's what we need to look at because the fact is God has a role for each and every one of us. Now, many people today at this point right here, they're going to throw up the big red flag and start screaming discrimination. Role? Men and women? Roles? No. No, that can't be. I want to start off with with directing our minds back to 1 Corinthians. Let's go back to chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and look in verse 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, Excuse me. If I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if an ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. If I woke up this morning, and my arms decided they would just be ears, and I've I've tried to think about what that would look like, whether I would have ears sprouting out of my head, or big arms coming out of my shoulder, or big ears coming out of my shoulder, I don't know which, but neither one of them can say that the body would look right. Something would be wrong with that body. And I would wake up that morning and I would have to say, say, arms, you can't be ears because that's not your role. That's not what you were made to do. Arms, though, you, you have an important work. You are extremely important in what you do for the body. And if they didn't do that work, well, the body would not be the same. The body would be crippled. It would be handicapped. The New Testament, likewise, teaches us that each and every one of us, male or female, we have a role to play. And our role is is a part of the bigger picture. It was a part of the body of Christ. Our role is needed, and our role is important. So what it tells us is every member is needed, and every member is important. In fact, did you notice 
Verse 18. Verse 18 is so crucial to this passage. It is the most important part of this passage. But now who set everything in order? God. God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased. As God pleased. This is what God wanted. Who are we? Who are we to argue with that? Because the fact is, men and women, we are different. There is a difference between men and women. I I don't think anybody would argue that. If you would, I'd say, well, I can tell you something that women can do that men simply cannot do. Women can have babies. Now, before we say, wait a minute, that's kind of, that's out of what we're talking about here. I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Women can have babies. I have been blessed, extremely blessed, with three beautiful baby boys. And I was able to be with Holly as she delivered these boys and brought them into the world. But there's something that I noticed. That's an experience that only a woman can have. I was there. I was a part of it. But that is an experience that only Holly can have. And it is amazing. And it is incredible. And it is unlike anything that me as a man will ever be able to do. You see, when Holly brought those boys into the world, Holly was creating a relationship that I'm never going to have with them. A special relationship between a mother and a child. A bond. And as men, we look on at that connection and I'm in awe of it. It is beautiful. But should I be upset that, that I don't get to partake in that? That I don't have that connection? Should I be mad at Holly because she has that connection? Or should I be mad at God? Should I say things like, well, I'm, God must hate men because I'm just a father. If I said that, how many of you all would probably pull me aside and say, Kyle, fathers are important. They're just as important as mothers. Yes, there's things that fathers don't get to take a part of, that mothers get to take a part of. But without fathers, the family would not be the same. It would be broken. So likewise, Mothers are an integral part of the family. And likewise, before people jump on this Paul was a pig bandwagon that so oftentimes gets said today, we need to consider that Paul thought pretty highly of women. Look back over to 2 Timothy now. 2 Timothy in chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and look at verse 3. In verse 3, he says, I thank God. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. And then in verse 5, we're going to skip down to verse 5, because he's going to tell Timothy why he thanks God. In verse 5, he says, I thank God when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, and your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. Paul was saying, I thank God for your grandmother. I thank God for your mother because I see the works that they did. He recognized the importance that they played in this man's life. A man who he saw as his son. He oftentimes wrote about as his son. I think Paul, I think he thought that the work that those women did was mighty important. I think that he thought it was necessary. So why? I want to say this, why have we decided today that preaching, teaching, leading singing, why have we decided that that is real kingdom work? 
That's where the real kingdom work is happening, up here in this pulpit or or, or leading songs. Why have we decided that? Because the fact is, I can stand up here and I could preach 10,000 sermons on love. I could speak until my face turned blue and never, ever have the same equality to the work of one woman. One single woman who might fix a meal and take it to a family. A family that's struggling with a a heartbreaking loss or tragedy or sick or just simply maybe hasn't been to services in a while. And take a, a meal to that family and say, you know, your brothers and sisters at Lake Street, we love you. We love you, and, and we, we want to ease your burden in some way. Look, I've, I've fixed a meal for you. That right there says volumes more than I could ever say from this pulpit. Because that is what real kingdom work is. This up here is not the real kingdom work. Real kingdom work is serving. The truth is, you know, Naomi Watts, uh, Walters, excuse me, she was hired, as I did, quoted, pulpit minister. And when I came here, I, I, I talked to you all, and I said, I, I really desire not to be known as the minister at Lake Street. And, and my name is on the business card, and it's followed by evangelists, and I understand these things, but there's something that we have to be clear here. We are all ministers. We are all called to be ministers, man and woman. We are called to be ministers with a lowercase m. Minister simply means to serve. We are called to be ministers in in teaching children. We are called to be ministers in consoling those who are weeping and mourning. We are called to be ministers for caring for the sick. Why have we allowed people in our society to tell us that those things don't matter? Why have we let that creep into our thoughts? God says they do. In fact, God says that's the essence of what kingdom work is. Servitude. So every one of us, Each and every one of us is called to serve and to serve in the shadows. Not to shine in the spotlight. Because where is our light most effective? It's effective to those that are lost. So we are not called to be this great shining star of the church. We're called to just simply do our part. And when we talk about the difference between man and woman, we do see these amazing things. Simply amazing things that women can do to show love. They can show mercy, caring, and compassion. And my encouragement is serve in these ways. Serve in these ways and know how important it is, not only to to God, but to the rest of us. And likewise, we see men, we have a role too. And that role is called to lead. That is what God made us to do. And it's seen all throughout the scriptures. In, in, in the beginning, God primarily communicated with who? The patriarchs, the fathers. When God called his, his, or to some men to lead his people, who did he call? He called men like Moses and Joshua. When he chose someone to lead him as a nation, who did he call? Men like David and Solomon. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus called who? His apostles. Peter, Andrew, James, John, men. And they set up the local church. They wanted men to lead it, elders. Elders are men with limitations, men who met qualifications. And when he instituted the family, who did he call to lead the family? The husband. None of this is up for debate. This is scriptural truth. Men are called to lead. And so men, we need to do that. We need to step up and carry out our roles. Same ways that women 
need to step up and carry out their roles. And we need to all do this joyously. And we need to do it gladly. So again, the question is raised, why not? Why not? Because God said women can't. God said it's not their role. But unfortunately today, that just doesn't settle it all the time. Many today will still will raise arguments and objections to this. And they'll, they'll, they'll say objections such as maybe, well, that was just a thing of the culture of that day. That was just something that happened in, in first century culture. And, and basically what they're saying is today, in 21st century American culture, we know better. We are smarter than them. And so what that... I pondered on this a little bit, thought about this, and I thought, okay, in the next thousand years, if the good Lord allows us to to be here that long, what will people say in the 31st century culture about us today? About things like instrumental music and lack thereof in worship service. Well, they say that was just a 21st century culture thing, but us 31st century people, we know better. We need to remember that if we shackle God's word to a culture, we have done a horrible injustice to him. Jesus, in Luke twenty two thirty three said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And God, in Malachi, told Malachi, verse, chapter 3, verse 6, he said, I am the Lord, I change not. Those three little words, so important to us today. I change not. God was the same then as he is today, and his laws were the same then as they are today. And second, if we are going to throw this out on account of culture, if we are going to just ignore that first part that should answer the question and say, nope, nope, that was a cultural thing. Well, what else can we throw out based on culture? The culture of that day, very heavily separated, poor and rich. I think we've gotten a little bit better at that. We, we don't have the lower and the upper class. We still have a middle class. It seems like every day getting smaller and smaller, but we still have it. So James chapter 2, in the verse 4 verses, it says, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. He's saying, don't be partial to people. Well, we can just throw that out. Because that's not the culture. He was talking to a culture that was partial. We don't have to worry about that. That doesn't apply to us anymore. No, absolutely not. This issue is not based on culture. This issue is based on order. Order of creation. And that's what it says in 1 Timothy 2 and in verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. If I can, direct your minds back to 1 Corinthians again. Let's go back to chapter 11. Chapter 11, and and we read, uh, I think we might have read this in class this morning, but in verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And in verse 8, for a man is not from woman, but woman from man. This is not a cultural thing. This is not a, this is what man wants thing. This is a God thing. This is how he created it, and this is what he has stipulated. So Paul was saying here that this was an order of things that God had set up. Not a cultural issue. Another argument that we might hear, man... You're just trying to keep women from using their gifts, from using their abilities. That's exactly what Lauren King said in her interview. When she was interviewed on this uh, announcement that this 4th Avenue Church of Christ made, she said, finally, I am able to use my 
gift. That word finally says a lot. It says that she'd been trying to use her gift for a long time, and she had not been allowed to. That is what, verse was, what she was saying here is, the men of this congregation are finally not standing in my way. Men are not holding me back from using my gift. And the fact is, that argument, that argument is extremely powerful. It's extremely powerful, but it's because it's rooted in emotion. Who wants to be the guy that censors someone from using God's given abilities? The fact is, we all do have abilities. No one is, 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 or nowhere in the Bible does it say that a woman does not have the ability to lead a prayer, does not have the ability to lead in song, does not have the ability to preach. So who wants to be the person that censors those God-given abilities? The fact is, God has given us these abilities, but he's given them to us with limitations. Back over in 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to look again at the context. Verse 27 and 28, as we talked about the, the tongue speaker. I want you to think about this man for a minute. A tongue speaker. Not just any tongue speaker. Not just someone who spoke in tongue. He was an inspired tongue speaker. I imagine him sitting up and saying, ah, message from God right here. I've got a message from God to tell you. A message straight from heaven. The brothers of that congregation have to say, sir, we don't have an interpreter today. I know you have a message from God. I know it's an inspired message. But, sir, you cannot exercise that gift because we don't have an interpreter. You have a limitation placed on you, not by men, but by God. There are lots of limitations that are placed on people throughout the Bible. Men specifically. I talked a little bit with Jim this morning. We maybe have a man visiting with us who comes from another country. I don't know, Spain or or the Ukraine, or Uzbekistan, or some, some faraway country. And, and you know what? I'm pretty well convinced that some of you in here either could speak the language or could, could convince me otherwise that you could speak the language. But the fact is, if we all don't understand what that man is speaking, he can't come up here and lead us in prayer because we don't have a clue what he's saying. There is no decency and order to that. That's a limitation that God has placed. Or what about a man who plays an amazing banjo? Amazing banjo. I love the banjo. In fact, a lot of my favorite songs have banjo in them. But God has placed a limitation on that man. Even if he's the best banjo player in the world, he can't lead us in singing with that banjo. He can't use that ability. What about a single man who is an absolutely great leader? A man who has the ability to, maybe he's, he's led people in his community to, to do things for that community, to, to maybe somebody's house burnt down. And we're going to go over there and we're going to gather up all this stuff and we're going to help them out. And he knows what's going on with the people around him and he cares and he's serving. And he, you look at that person and go, that person will make a great elder. That man has a limitation. No matter how great an elder he would make, he has a limitation. He doesn't meet the qualifications of an elder in being single. So what's that? Every single one of these men are limited. And that is part of the real problem, the underlying problem here today. People today want to jump up when you say that and say, Hey, man, you can't limit me. You can't do that. And that's why God, through Paul, placed these limits. It's not man limiting anyone. It is God placing these limits. And we must not violate God-given limits. So women... Women must do the same thing that men must do. We must all work together to find our place, to find our role, to find ways 
within our limitations to use the abilities that God has given us. Why can't women preach? Because Scripture forbids it. Why does Scripture forbid it? Because God expects men and women to respect the place and role that He has placed them in the kingdom. That's the bottom line. So we started this morning. Brother Eric read from 1 Timothy. And do you remember what it said in 1 Timothy? In chapter 2 and in verse 13 through 14. It said, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, fell into transgression. That's reminding us back to the Old Testament. It's reminding us back to Genesis. In the garden, do you remember that story? Do you remember Eve in the garden and what everything that God had given her? It had the run of the garden, but one thing he had forbidden. That one thing he forbid was to eat of the fruit of the tree in the center of the garden. And what did Satan do? The devil focused her attention on the one thing that God had forbidden her. He focused her attention and he was able to tempt her and she eventually gave way to that temptation and partook of that which God had forbidden. And we saw that sin followed. Isn't it ironic that today, with so much amazing, important work that God has given every one of us to do, and especially women, some have made the same mistake as Eve. Focusing on something that God forbids. At the same time, men, let's have a moment of honesty. Let's really stop and think. Could it be that some of this business of women trying to force their way into the pulpit, could that be because sometimes we treat them like a second-class citizen of the kingdom of God? Is it possible that we do that? Maybe saying something like, you know, y'all... Y'all just go ahead and, and head downstairs. That's, that's your territory. That's where you belong, teaching the children. Is it possible that we have done that? Ultimately, what we are saying, when we, when we make statements like that, what we're saying is you all handle the jobs that are remedial in our, in our eyes, and we'll handle the real important work, the manly work, if you will. Let's all work together. As Ephesians 4 tells us, he gave some to be apostles. Some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. It tells us why he did that. He gave us that for the equipping of the saints, not the males, not the females, the saints, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. We are all to be working together, and we all have a role to play. Let's all realize that we are in this. We are in this together. So this morning, brothers and sisters, is there there some need that you have today? If you have not yet become a child of God, I want, want to encourage you this morning. If you have not been washed in the precious blood of His Son, you absolutely have a need today. And I encourage you not to wait. Jesus invites all to come to Him. He encourages all to enter into that servitude to Him. A servitude that He reminds us is an easy yoke to bear. So don't delay. Whether whether it be to come forward and confess Jesus as the Son of God, both Lord and Savior, or to confess a public sin that is in your life, I ask that you come today. I ask that you come while there is still time. I ask that you come now.
as we stand and sing.